So this morning we are continuing with our reasons for the season series, and I want to turn your attention to two portions of scripture that we will be focusing on today. And they are coming from John chapter 1, which we will all read together, certain selected passages from John chapter 1. And then I will read to you uh, two verses from John chapter 18. As we do at WPA, I want to invite you to stand in the honor of reading God's word. For those of you who are tuning in online, welcome. Glad that you're here with us. And uh, let's open our Bibles together and uh, let's hear what the word of God says, okay? So let's read John 1 together. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all he did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son. Who came from the father. Full of grace and truth. John 18 says this. Verses 37 to 38. You are a king then. Said Pilate. Jesus answered. You say that I am a king. In fact. The reason I was born. And came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage. We thank you that, Holy Spirit, you have inspired this text. Jesus, you said to us that anyone who abides in your word will know the truth and the truth will set them free. God, we pray that today, would you please draw us into your word. And we pray that the word that will be preached today will go into our hearts, will go deep down, building good root and bearing much fruit in our lives. We thank you for hearing our prayer. I bless my brothers and sisters as we go through your word together. We pray that we will be aware of your presence. May your words burn in our hearts as you speak to us from this passage. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Why did Jesus come to this world? One of the reasons is that he came to testify to the truth. The meaning of Christmas is inexhaustible because it is filled with powerful truths about God. And knowing these truths is important because it sets us free. When Christmas time comes, we have a lot of questions trying to understand why this season is important. What is the meaning of Jesus' birth and what difference does his birth make in my life? In my marriage, 
in my family, in my work, in my leisure, in my thoughts, my my emotions, and my decisions. In John 18, 37, from the passage that I read to you, Jesus said a powerful statement. He said, the reason I was born and came into the world, your world, my world, is to testify to the truth. This statement that Jesus said is one of the reasons for Christmas. What is this truth? This truth that Jesus is testifying of is one that comes outside of this world and gives meaning to this world. This world doesn't make this truth. It doesn't shape nor change this truth. It is the truth that applies to all. It is absolute and unchanging. The emphasis here is this, that this truth is outside of my mind, that I don't create but discover, that I don't control but rather submit to. The world we live in today rejects the absolute truth. If we try to claim that there is an absolute truth that everyone should believe and follow, we will be considered misguided and immoral. Others will say that we're misguided because they believe that there is no God to give absoluteness to truth. And if there is, there is no way of knowing him and what he thinks. Others can also consider us immoral if we believe in absolute truth. Because absolute truth leads to intolerance and prejudice against what others think. Due to this, we actually live in a society where truth is defined in terms of relativism. If you respect my right to hold my own beliefs, you demonstrate humility and goodness. However, if you insist that your truth should dictate my beliefs, it reflects arrogance, intolerance, and immorality. This is what relative truth sounds like. What is scary today is that we don't just live in a world anymore where Christ is being taken out of Christmas. We live in a world where truth is being taken out of reality. People don't think about absolute truth anymore. Everything has become relative to our experiences. To this horrible and evil belief system that purposely aims to take truth out of reality and slowly self-destruct our society, Jesus was born into this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone wants to know the truth and wants to live in the truth. Everyone to some degree believes that they have the truth and live in the truth. Yet Christmas confronts all those belief systems with the message that truth came into this world, embodied itself, lived among us as us, died on our behalf, and prevailed over death once and for all. And that those who believe in this truth only will be set free. That's what John chapter 1, which we all read together, is all about. When we look at the Christmas story given to us, 
from the Gospels, we find, especially at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew and of Luke, we find all the historical facts about Jesus' birth, the nativity. We find the facts about the angels, the shepherds, the star, the wise men, Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. Yeah, what I love the most about John's gospel is that John's gospel does not introduce Jesus like this in chapter 1. His introduction is very different. Rather, John's gospel shows what the birth of Jesus actually really means for all of us. In John's gospel, in its entirety, we see that how the birth of Jesus is the visible joining of the spiritual and the physical. In the person of Jesus Christ, these spiritual and physical realities are no longer separated, for they are discovered to be joined together in one person, in Him, which makes Jesus the sole source and being of absolute truth that gives meaning to everything. When we read John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, we see that there is a title that is given called the Word. And it is given to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. And the Greek term for the Word is called Logos. It is the derivative of the English word logic. The Holy Spirit inspired Apostle John to strategically use this specific Greek term to uniquely acknowledge the reality of Jesus Christ. In the ancient Greek world, the term Logos is loaded with meaning and was a title given to the creative force that ordered the intelligent mind of the entire universe. It is the source behind all creative things that were moved into existence. It is the dominant thought and speech from which all things find their root. It is known as, as the pre-existing idea that has embedded morality in our conscience for us to understand and function in. And everyone both in the Gentile and Jewish world believed in it back then. If you were to take out the Logos, if you were to take out the word, it would give no meaning no narrative to who we are as a human species and civilization. It is how Einstein would rationalize all of his works to the conclusion that there is a creative force responsible for the creative powers we experience in this world. So, when the Holy Spirit inspired Apostle John to use the specific word to make his point about Jesus Christ, it is a powerful statement. He is saying that the word Logos is none other than Jesus Christ, who is the imperative, final, and absolute truth that humanity must accept. John uses this term so that Greeks of his time and Hellenistic Jews of his time, who were influenced by Greek culture, would realize... That Jesus Christ is the logical explanation behind everything that we are trying to know, feel, and understand. 
When John says that Jesus Christ is the word of God, that also means that Jesus Christ is the logical explanation of who God truly is and that we cannot know who God is without knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of who God is. If we turn to Jesus, then we will know God. We will know absolute truth. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. And the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is how God speaks to us today, through his son, Jesus. In John 1, we actually learn of seven powerful truths about Jesus being the word of God. And if you look at these slides, you will see that there's a breakdown of it in John chapter 1 that I've given verse by verse. The first thing we learn about Jesus, the word of God, is we learn about his deity and his eternal existence in verses 1 to 2. We also learn about his work in creation, verses 3 to 5. His light that enlightens those in darkness, verses 4 to 10. His rejection from his own, verses 10 to 11. His acceptance among those who believe in verses 12 to 13. And his power to turn children of men into children of God in verses 12 to 13. And then finally we learn about his incarnation in verse 14. Now while I wish that we could unpack every one of these seven points, we don't actually have the time for that today. I would encourage you whenever you get the time, please go back and look throughout the scriptures about these truths and how God throughout time in the Old and in the New Testament has done a, a, a marvelous work of bringing these realities out through the person of Jesus Christ. Yet there is one thing I do want us to unpack for us today that is meaningful to us, and that is his incarnation, which we celebrate in this Christmas season. The incarnation of the absolute truth is meaningful to us because when John says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, there are three things we can understand about Jesus being born as a human that give meaning to our lives. The birth of Jesus means that God became vulnerable. That's the first thing. God became vulnerable. Jesus, who is known as the creative force, the creative being who has eternally existed for all time, being born into this world as a human means God chose to be vulnerable like we are. We don't realize how much divine power Jesus held within himself when he was living in this world. He wasn't helpless and weak by nature, but by choice. We are helpless and weak by nature. But Jesus was helpless and weak by choice. Jesus didn't leave his divinity above and come down to earth as mere human only. 
He didn't cease being God while being on earth. He was fully God while being fully man at the very same time. Yet to fulfill all the law and righteousness, Jesus chose to live as a perfect human by being completely obedient to God in every way. Because he didn't break any of God's laws, as a human, all his deeds are credited as righteous. And that is what he puts on us and he clothes us in on those who believe in his son, Jesus. If you want to know more about this message and and understand that, listen to the first part of the series, which Pastor Chris preached about two weeks ago, which is called Fulfill the Law. God became vulnerable. A good proof of his vulnerability by choice is actually revealed when he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Simon Peter cuts off one of the servant's ears. And Jesus picks the guy's ear up, glues it back on. And then he looks at Simon Peter and he says to him, Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That is incredible divine power. What we see right here is that Jesus can act on his divine power to prevent any harm to himself, yet he doesn't do that. Instead, he chooses to be vulnerable by by delivering himself into the hands of sinful men to be beaten, mocked, tortured, and crucified. His great divine power was also revealed in his humble restraint. The word became flesh means that God through Jesus became vulnerable. Here's the second thing I want you to remember. The birth of Jesus means that God became relatable. God became relatable. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 to 17 says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. What we have in common with Jesus is that he is the only one who went out of his way to relate with us by physically becoming human like us. As a human, he had a body like other men. In his earthly body, he could only be in one place at a time. He needed to eat, rest, and sleep. He could feel pain and also bleed. And if you cracked a really good joke, I'm sure he would have laughed. He felt grief and sorrow as we do as well. When he was with his disciples on this earth, he did life with them. 
And here's the beautiful thing about that. Anyone can feel a connection with someone who understands them and knows a way to understand someone is the, the best way is to live in their shoes. We relate with people who have been in our shoes. And so Jesus being born into this world and living as us means that he understands us. That's exactly what God did when he came through the person of Jesus Christ. The word becoming flesh means that God through Jesus became relatable. The third thing is the birth of Jesus means that God became personal. God became personal. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 to 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was tempted in every way and he empathizes with our weaknesses. He knows that we don't have it in us to overcome sin perfectly like he does. But that's where the good news comes in. Not only did Jesus overcome and atone for our sins perfectly, he empathizes with our weaknesses when we are tempted tremendously. He's merciful, helpful, loving, understanding, and forgiving. The word became flesh means that God through Jesus became personal. Became personal. And this is the good news that through Jesus Christ, all of us sitting in this room, we all can have a connection with God because he became vulnerable, relatable, and personal. And so how should we respond? When we know that God has come to us in this state, in the person of Jesus Christ, how should we respond? I'll tell you one way that you should not respond. Don't be like Pilate. See, when I read to you from John chapter 18, verse 37 to 38, we see that Pilate scoffs at Jesus' statement of testifying to the truth by saying, what is truth? I'm not sure what Pilate expected that day when Jesus stood in front of him. He probably just saw Jesus as another task of work to cross off that day. No pun intended. When we read the context around Pilate's interaction with Jesus, we can see that his stance before Jesus is just neutral and impenetrable. His obliviousness was causing him to miss the truth standing right in front of him. And here's the scary part. His and our indifference to the truth of Jesus Christ can cost us our freedom and cost us our eternal life and connection with God. Because it is the truth that actually sets us free. 
And how are we free? By the truth's application in our lives. Here's some honest questions we need to ask ourselves this morning. What is my stance before Jesus? If Jesus was standing right in front of me right now, what would my stance be? Am I indifferent to Jesus or am I conscious of him? Do I recognize him as the absolute truth that gives meaning to me, my world, my life, and everything in it? Is Jesus the bedrock of who we are? Is Jesus the nucleus of everything that we think, we feel, and do? Can we identify with Paul's words where he said, In him we live and move and have our being. Often we would like God to appear to us in forms that seem just supernatural, out of the usual, extraordinary, mind-blowing as a means for us to put our faith in him. But here's the amazing part that we learn about John 1. God looks over all of our doubts, all of our skepticism. And and here's what we learn. We learn that the all-magnificent, powerful God, out of great love for us, connects with us by being born physically into this world in a vulnerable, relatable, and personal human being whose name is Jesus. We're going to invite the worship team to come as we get ready to close. I said that, you know, oftentimes we would like God to appear to us in forms that are just obviously more extraordinary. Make it more obvious, God, that you're real. Make it more obvious, God, that you are who you say you are. We want him to appear in ways that are kind of mind-blowing. And here's the thing. God can't appear like that. And God has appeared like that in the Old Testament. But here's the truth. The truth is that if God were to appear like that right now in this room, we would all be dead. Us mortal beings can't stand in the presence of a glorious God like that. And you know what? There's actually two people in scripture that actually can relate with this. Two good examples are actually found in the lives of Moses and Elijah. In Exodus chapter 33 verse 18, it says this. We see Moses ask God to show me your glory. Show me your glory. And you know what God says to him? God first says to him that he would see God's goodness pass in front of him and then explicitly tells Moses this. He says, in verse 20, he says this, but you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Moses, still aching to see the glory of God, only gets to see God's back when he's placed in the cleft of a rock. He doesn't see his face. He only sees his back. The other person is Elijah, who also could have died seeing God. 
In 1 Kings 19, we read that after Jezebel makes the threats to destroy Elijah's life, he runs to the same mountain where Moses met with God and hides there. According to biblical scholars, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are considered the same mountain of God in the Old Testament where God met with his servant, Moses. On that mountain, Elijah witnesses all these powerful acts of God in nature, where a mighty wind shatters rocks and mountains get torn apart and and an earthquake occurs when he's so depressed. He goes out of the cave and he sees these supernatural works of God happening in the nature right in front of him. And you know what's crazy in that whole story? That whole passage says, it explicitly says that behind all those acts, God was not there. God was not there. Yet there is one part where it says, when Elijah hears the gentle whisper, a gentle whisper, we see in 1 Kings 19 verse 13, it says, when Elijah heard it, the gentle whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face. And he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. He covered his face like this and stood out at the cave. Now, why would he do that? He did that because he probably thought that God could be physically present outside of that cave. And if Elijah saw God that day, he would be dead. He'd be dead. It's funny that the two people, one wanted God to see out of love and one was see, wanted to see God out of desperation. And yet in the Old Testament, God doesn't show his face to either of them. But did you know that in the New Testament, God finally showed his face to both Moses and Elijah? In Matthew chapter 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, both Moses and Elijah finally saw the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, you're going to get excited now because here's the thing. The, they, what they saw that day, they finally saw the face behind the gentle whisper. They finally saw the face that showed only his back. They finally saw the face behind the one who gave them the law. They finally saw the face that destroyed Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. They finally saw the face that preserves, protects, and provides for them in the wilderness. They finally saw the face that kept his covenant and his promises with their forefathers. They finally saw the face that made the sun stand still, they saw the face that behind creation, they saw the face of hope, the face of redemption, the face of truth, the face that breathes life, the face that gives meaning to everything, the face that lifts the countenance of those in shame, the face of glory, the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Praise God. My dear friends, here's what I have to tell you. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Anyone, and this is my good news to you. If you don't get anything out of the sermon today, I hope you just get this. Anyone who looks to the face of Jesus today, you will not die, but you will live forever. Forever, 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 forever. 
So here's my plea with you this Christmas season. Please don't be indifferent to Jesus. I know sometimes we have all of our ways of how we want God to appear to us. We have our notions, we have our ideas, we have our presumptions, we have our outlines, and we want God to come into the way that he should. But can I tell you something? He's not at the mercy of any of those things. We are at his mercy. And what we need to do today is we need to invite him in as he is, and he has come in the person of Jesus Christ. So because of him, we live and move and have our being. We're all sitting in here blessed as not as just children of men, but as children of God. So will you let the truth in today? Let him in. Let him in. Let him in and let him set you free. Let's all stand. With every head bowed and every eye closed.